Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 452 for July 19th, 2015. This week, if you're looking for a reason to enroll in Adobe's Creative Cloud for Photographers, just take a look at what's new in Lightroom and Photoshop. If you haven't checked your Google and Facebook privacy settings recently, now would be a good time. In short circuits, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies have whacked another mole. Amazon's Black Friday in July received less than stellar reviews. And after having only a minor presence at Germany's IFA trade show for several years, Microsoft will have the keynote slot at this year's show. And in spare parts, only on the website, Microsoft is essentially giving up on phones, at least the hardware part. In July of 1948, Bell Labs announced the Transfer Resistance Device. We now know it as the Transistor. A company in China says it has a battery that can be ready to use after just six or seven minutes of charging. And if you're looking for medical marijuana, there's an app for that. If you're a digital photographer and you're not using Adobe Lightroom to organize and edit your photos, you're working too hard. And you're also missing a lot of the fun that the creative process offers. Opinionated? Who, me? Adobe's $120 a year program for photographers probably has more value than a new $600 lens. That's because it provides access to all of Lightroom's organizational, editing, and sharing features as well as all of Photoshop's pixel-level manipulations. The recently released 2015 version of Creative Cloud for Photographers provides even more ways for photographers, whether amateurs or pros, to realize their creative visions. So let's take a look, and be sure you take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website where you'll see some of the images that I'll be talking about. The week that Adobe released CC 2015, I described Lightroom's new dehaze function, saying that it doesn't really add any capabilities that Lightroom didn't already have, but it does provide a way to make, with a single adjustment, a common correction that would previously have required modifying several controls. The image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website is arguably a pretty lousy photograph. It's one that didn't even make the first cut several years ago when I visited Prairie Oaks Metro Park. It does exhibit some early morning haze, though, and that's exactly what I needed. Sliding a single dehaze control cuts through the haze. One thing you'll see in the image on the TechBiter Worldwide website is that the remaining fog in the distance has a decidedly greenish cast. We'll revisit that in just a bit. And bear in mind that this is a haze remover, not a fog remover. If you have a picture from San Francisco's Coit Tower on a foggy day, don't expect the dehazer control to provide a clear view of the Golden Gate Bridge, or even the closer Oakland Bay Bridge. But since it's a dehazer, it can also be a hazer, and it's possible that your artistic vision for an image with a slight amount of haze, or none at all, would be to have more haze. Uh, dehaze control does work in reverse, just slide the control to the left instead of the right. Now, I mentioned the green cast. 
Well, reducing that green cast in the remaining fog brings back some of the darkroom training I had when work was actually done in dark rooms. We were given a simplified version of the color wheel. For photographers, the primary colors can be thought of as red, green, and blue. And you can think of them as occupying three points on an equilateral triangle. Now, figure out what colors should be on the sides of the triangle. Yellow is the result of mixing 100% red and 100% green. Cyan is green plus blue. Magenta is blue plus red. Now, just possibly you're thinking of a drawing you made in kindergarten. You drew a blue sky, you drew in a yellow sun, and it became green. That's true. Crayons use a different color model. In essence, it's the subtractive method versus the additive method. In any event, if you have an image with an unwanted green cast, you have two options. Find some way to remove green or add magenta. Lightroom makes it possible to add a gradient filter, and that's what I did with this image. After adding some magenta to the top part of the image, I made additional changes that enhanced contrast and detail at the bottom. I like the grungy look of this image. Perhaps I've mentioned previously, it's not really a great image. Check out the final result on the TechBiter Worldwide website. If I wanted to use this image for something more than just a demonstration of Lightroom's new capability, it would need some additional work, starting with cropping. So this photo that previously was a reject actually could have some usefulness as a background, perhaps, now that it's been adjusted. The graduated filter, radial filter, and adjustment brush receive some welcome new controls in the 2015 version. Users have more precise control over the brightest and darkest parts of their photos, thanks to the addition of black and white controls on these filters. These are in addition to the existing set of powerful controls that make it possible to paint on temperature, tint, exposure, and contrast modifications, as well as subtly changing clarity and saturation, and applying corrections for sharpness, noise, moray, and color fringing. And it's not just Lightroom. If you choose the $10 a month program, you also have access to Photoshop CC. Many people start working with their photos in Lightroom because of the application's ability to organize photos and make all of the initial enhancements. Then they open the image in Photoshop for those precision edits. Those who have established procedures that use Bridge, Camera Raw, and Photoshop may prefer to continue using that workflow, though. After all, Camera Raw does exactly what Lightroom does. Because Camera Raw and Lightroom are identical under the hood, new features in Lightroom are also new features in Camera Raw. So Adobe Camera Raw 9.1 has the ability to remove or add atmospheric haze to photos. It also provides more precise control over white and black levels for local adjustments. Most of the new features in Photoshop will appeal to professionals. The linked assets function of Creative Cloud Libraries means that changes made to what Adobe calls an asset in Photoshop will be available in other applications, including the mobile applications available for iPhones, iPads, and Android phones, and vice versa. Changes made on the portable devices will be available on the desktop. And the ability to add artboards to Photoshop is something that designers have been dreaming about for years. Having multiple artboards on a single screen would allow designers to mock up variations of a website for client review, to show mobile and desktop versions of a website side by side, to work on projects such as the design of business cards, letterheads, and envelopes, all on a single screen. 
being able to lay out the various components within a single document and see them all at once is valuable to the designer. Text and art can be shared between artboards. The artboards may be named, and when work is complete, the work can be exported individually or in groups. You'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website an envelope, letterhead, and business card that all share the same graphic. The graphic has different interpretations on each of the items, rotated counterclockwise on the letterhead, rotated clockwise on the business card, and converted to a watermark on the stationery. And please note, I am not a designer, nor do I play one on television. Adobe likes to show off the new features and program enhancements that have been added over the years, and they do so with a chart that goes all the way back to Creative Suite 3. There's a link to that chart from the TechBiter Worldwide website. The bottom line is five cats. Adobe continues to hit home runs with Creative Cloud for photographers. A $10 a month program called Creative Cloud Photography includes Lightroom and Photoshop. It's hard to imagine a better value for photographers because the applications play so well together. Lightroom is an outstanding digital photo organizer and it handles most of the image adjustments that can be used to improve the vast majority of images. When a photo needs pixel level editing or adjustments that call for multiple layers, opening the image in Photoshop is a snap. Check it out on the Adobe website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Google and Facebook are two of the most used services on the Internet. Both of them have extensive privacy settings that allow users to control who sees what. Although many people complain about the lack of security and privacy, few actually take the time to work their way through the options for Facebook or Google. One fact is important to understand from the outset, though. If you post something on the Internet, you should simply assume that anyone on the planet can see it. After all, that's the primary reason the Internet exists. Another important fact is this. Google and Facebook are in business to make money. Because you don't send money to Google or Facebook every month, you must be paying for the services in some other way. Occasionally, a message pops up on Facebook asking if I would still use Facebook if I had to pay for it. That question illustrates the ignorance of the person asking it. I am paying for Facebook, just as I pay for free radio, just as I pay for free television. Advertisers pay radio and television stations for the ears and eyes of listeners and viewers. You are not the radio stations or the television stations customer. The advertiser is the customer, and you are the commodity that the customer is buying. It's the same with Google and Facebook. Both provide a service that millions of people use. To pay for the employees, the hardware, and the Internet connectivity required to provide the service, Google and Facebook and others sell access to your eyes and your ears. That's the way capitalism works. You do have some control, though. All you need to do is take the time to understand what you can control and then adjust the free application so that it works the way you want it to. Google, for example, knows more about you than the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, Russia's FSC or SVR, and England's MI5 or MI6 combined. 
But Google also allows users to determine how people connect to them, set what is automatically shared, configure what is visible on their Google Plus profiles, manage shared endorsements, control what they share on YouTube, and make ads more relevant or even opt out of interest-based ads. The easiest way to get to Google's security page is to go to a link I've provided on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's myaccount.google.com forward slash privacy checkup. If you're not currently logged in, at that point you would need to log in. Take the time to work your way through Google's privacy checkup. There are lots of settings you can enable or disable. One of the options that shows on the main page is edit your Google Plus profile, so be sure to follow that link, which will open in a new tab, if you use Google Plus. By default, Google will help people you are connected with find your phone number. If you consider that a problem, disable that feature. By default, Google will keep all of your liked videos and saved playlists private. It will also keep all of your video subscriptions private. You can modify those settings if you want to. By default, Google saves certain information about your use of the Internet. Although this information is visible only to you, advertisers do have access to it. Web and app activity, location history, device information, voice and audio activity, YouTube search history, and YouTube watch history. You can change all of those. Check them out on the privacy section. The section that most people will probably want to examine is called Make Ads More Relevant to You. According to Google, you can change the types of ads you see from Google when you adjust your interests, age, and gender, or opt out of ads based on your interests. I'm quoting Google here. Please note that you will still see ads after opting out. They will just be less relevant. And also, please note that by gender, Google actually means sex. The important takeaway here is that you can't eliminate the ads. Given that, I have left interest-based ads active. If I must see an ad, and it appears that I must, then it might as well be something that has some chance of being interesting to me. And yes, there are some third-party applications that will hide ads, and I do use one. Well, let's look at Facebook. People share stories or photographs on Facebook, and they say they're annoyed because other people can see their stories or photographs. Now, maybe I'm missing something here, but what's the point of posting something on Facebook if you don't want people to see it? And to go back to my original point, regardless of your privacy and security settings, regardless of your privacy and security settings, if you post something on the Internet, you should assume that anyone on the planet can see it, and space aliens too, for that matter. After all, that's the primary reason the Internet exists. That and cats. You can specify who can see every post you create, but there is also a default option. To restrict access to your past and future Facebook posts, click Privacy, that's in the left pane of the account settings, then choose Limit Past Posts under Who Can See My Posts, and click the Edit button to the right of Who Can See Your Future Posts. A warning will appear if you choose to limit access to previous posts overall instead of changing the settings on a per-post basis. The options under Who Can Contact Me allow you to limit friend requests and also filter messages you receive. Additionally, you can restrict who can find you by using an email address or a phone number, who can find your timeline if they know your name, and whether your timeline will link to search engines. Some Facebook apps request more permissions than they really need. 
This may include access to your information and the ability to post photos and status updates on your behalf. To review the permissions apps have, click Apps in the left pane of the Account Settings window, then choose Edit to the right of the app's entry, and then you can change the app's visibility in the drop-down menu or eliminate the application by using Remove App if you no longer want it. There's also an option to report rogue apps, so you can tell Facebook about apps that spam users are inappropriate or that request more information than they really need. In short circuits, the FBI and law enforcement agencies in Europe and South America have arrested more than 60 suspects in connection with an investigation of an identity theft ring called Dark Code. According to Krebs on Security, Dark Code is an online market for criminals who want to buy and sell ransomware programs, drive-by exploits, spamming services, botnet tools, and such. The site reportedly has been under surveillance for the past four months. The FBI, Europol, Brazil's federal police, and other law enforcement agencies arrested 62 people in 18 countries. A Brazilian news report says that those arrested in Brazil are suspected of participating in Internet fraud. They are accused of extracting money from bank accounts by planting malware on victims' computers. One of the suspects in Brazil is accused of operating a botnet with more than 25,000 computers. The FBI says the Dark Code Forum, which was password-protected, and open only to accepted members, has been the focus of an investigation involving law enforcement agencies from the U.S., the U.K., Germany, Brazil, Latvia, Romania, Nigeria, Israel, and about a dozen other nations. Codenamed Operation Shrouded Horizon, the investigation has identified some 300 members of Dark Code. about Amazon's Prime Day, Black Friday in July? Not quite up to its advanced billing. Maybe they should have held the event on a day that's a prime number, like Monday the 13th or Friday the 17th, instead of on Wednesday the 15th, which is divisible by 1, 15, 3, and 5. Stupid math jokes aside, Amazon's Prime Day didn't quite live up to its advanced billing. Lame is a word commonly used by consumers to describe that one-day sale commemorating Amazon's 20th anniversary. Only Amazon Prime members who pay $100 per year were eligible to shop for the special prices. Countering Amazon's online advertising blitz, Best Buy and Walmart both announced special one-day sales that were open to everyone and also featured free two-day shipping for orders above a certain value. Retailers with stores are feeling a lot of pressure from online retailers, particularly Amazon. Between 2010 and 2014, Amazon's revenue grew 31%. Walmart's increased less than 2%. Amazon was apparently hoping that Prime Day would attract new customers for its Prime program. Perhaps it did that. Existing Prime members, though, weren't very impressed. Those who signed up for the program this week get a 30-day free trial of the service, 
Walmart is considering its options too, though. In May, Walmart says it plans to test a $50 a year program that will offer free three-day shipping. Microsoft Corporate Vice President Nick Parker, who heads the OEM division, will deliver the keynote address at IFA 2015, a global trade show in Berlin. IFA is the Institute for Foreign Cultural Relations, and the annual event occurs in early September. Parker will show new devices that run Windows 10, including tablets, hybrid devices, power notebooks, gaming devices, and all-in-one computers. IFA Executive Director Jens Heidecker says that Windows 10 offers new capabilities and experiences for consumers and businesses. Microsoft hasn't played a big part in this event for several years. Windows 10 is generally seen as what might be colloquially called a game changer. Nick Parker, as head of the OEM division, is in charge of worldwide sales, marketing, and licensing of pre-installed Windows operating systems and Microsoft applications and services on mobile and embedded devices, personal computers, servers, and the Internet of Things devices. And speaking of other things, in spare parts, only on the website, Microsoft is essentially giving up on phones, at least the hardware part. In July 1948, Bell Labs announced the Transfer Resistance Device. We now know that as the Transistor. A company in China says it has a battery that can be ready to use after just six or seven minutes of charging. And if you're looking for medical marijuana, there's an app for that. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.